Old City Station at 2200 hours. All is well. Understood. All stations clear. You amaze me, Commander. Oh, how is that? A 20-year space veteran? Yet you choose the worst duty station in town. I mean, look at this place. This is the hind end of space. Peace and quiet appeals to me, Lieutenant. Yeah, well, maybe that's okay for someone like you, whose career is winding down. But me, I need some challenge in my life, some adventure, maybe even just a surprise or two. Well, you know what they say, Lieutenant. Be careful what you wish for. You may get it. Good evening, Commander. Is everything ready? Step into my parlor, gentlemen. No, my God. Very good for you, Lieutenant. But it's damn irregular. No destination orders, no encoded IDs. All true. Well, what are we going to do about it? I'm not going to do anything about it. You're going to sit in the closet. The closet? What, have you lost all your sense of reality? This isn't reality. This is fantasy. You want an adventure? How's this? The old adrenaline going? Huh? Good boy. Now get in the closet. Okay. Uh, Go uh, on. Go on. I'll just get in the closet. Okay. I'm glad you're on our side. Can you handle that? Uh... Oh, I'll have Mr. Adventure eating out of my hands, sir. And I'll see all of you at the rendezvous. Oh, and Admiral. All my hopes. Progress report. I'm connecting the bypass circuit now, sir. It should take another half hour. Speed is essential, Lieutenant. Mr. Spock, I haven't done anything like this in years. If it isn't done just right, I could blow the entire communication system. It's very delicate work, sir. I can think of no one better equipped to handle it, Miss Uhura. Please proceed. Yes, sir. Right away. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watching Movie. It's just me, Max, in Lord Movie Studios this week. Now, we were going to take a break this week from Dirty Harry to celebrate Nichelle Nichols, and that's what this episode is going to be about. Now, there was, and this is by way of a preview of maybe next week's show, or at least next week's Tuesday short, there was a really long preamble where I think Jason and I discuss a lot of interesting things, and maybe even say a few interesting things. I was going to include that with this episode, but as it's such an off-the- rails conversation I didn't think in the end it blended very well with our Nichelle Nichols uh, content. So let's just focus on Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek and on Nichelle Nichols's many contributions to that show and to pop culture generally. After we talk about that I'll say a few things about some other media I've been watching and tell you whether or not you should listen to it, watch it, so on and so forth. So anyway without further ado let's talk about Nichelle Nichols and how great she was for humankind. Now keep in mind audience we had been talking for quite some time before we get to this Nichelle Nichols conversation, and we are very deep in our cups at this
this point in the show. So with that said, enjoy. We lost Michelle Nichols, who was a very important member of the original Star Trek cast. Jason, how long did the original Star Trek run? You know this off the top of your head, I bet. Three seasons. Three seasons. From what year to what year? Uh-oh. I, I would say the first episode of the first season would have aired in 1966. And I the final episode might have bled into 1969, but I want to say 68. Okay, okay. Because um, I'm not sure if the third season was a full... Because the, the third season is famously uh, remembered as being kind of not as, not as good as the first two. Okay, okay. And it is true. It is true that most of the really bad episodes of Star Trek that everyone points out as bad episodes are in the third season. Well, I want to congratulate you, Jason. 1966 to 1969. All right. Was My original was. instinct was correct. Yeah, so that's your that's your Star Trek stuff. Nichelle herself was, oh, let's see here, she was born December 28th, 1932, and died July 30th, 2022. She had a, a, a shockingly, a much more busy career than I thought she had. She was, she's been busy from, well, before that, she, she was in Peyton Place, the TV series in 1966, which uh, was a really famous novel uh, of that era. And, and movie. And movie and Peyton made a very place was kind of Peyton Place was kind of um one of the you know one of the early soap opera dramas. Okay, okay. It makes a it makes a brief appearance in Billy Joel's uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. Okay. I think Peyton Place Trouble in the Suez. I can't remember the line, but sidebar. Looks like I was right. So into the sidebar, me being right, yet again. So she's she's been but she's been working since 1959 often as 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 a bit actor. Then of course she lands this uh, incredible incredibly small role but but important on yep. Star Trek. She was in she was in I think all 69 episodes of the show. She was not well. She was not in the pilot. Okay. I don't think. Okay. 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 So that's so I must have show. All, so she was in 69 episodes of the show. Anyway. Yeah. yeah she yeah she would have been in most of them. I think her first appearance would have been okay. Now I'm gonna really geek out here uh i believe that her first appearance would have been in the corbamite maneuver which is also the first appearance of dr mccoy and not scotty scotty was in the pilot and okay. and spock and then check of course came uh, season two but okay he, okay he wasn't in season one at all Actually, um, so it's very interesting. Chekhov, there was kind of this uh, uh, where Sulu was in the first season and then left in the second season through half of it to go film the Green Berets. So Chekhov was brought in, Walter Koenig was brought in as a replacement of Sulu. And so Chekhov was kind of the uh, the the way to make up for the fact that Sulu was gone. When George Takei finished the Green Berets, he came back and then it was only then that the famous 
helmsman navigator duo became kind of normalized as Sulu and Chekhov in, I think, the second half of season two. Okay, okay. I, I wonder if this is where the feud between Shatner and Takei begins, because maybe Shatner wanted to play the role that Takei played in Green Berets uh, opposite John Wayne. Um, I don't think so. I, I have lots of thoughts about the feud. But... Okay, well, that's for another time. This is, yeah. this is more about the show's bright spots and Uhura, uh, Nichelle. Specifically her, yeah. 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 So she she was in a lot of the original shows. She returned to Star Trek in Star Trek the Animated Series, where she voiced Uhura, Dr. Sarah April, and Carla Five. And she was on that show for its short life from 1973 to nineteen seventy. Well, interestingly, they all came back. Did they all come back for that show? Okay. They all came back. I mean, which seems which seems amazing now. That <laughs> is that absolutely is amazing. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they all came back and uh, you know, just a couple years later, everyone was shocked that they all came back for the movies. Because yes, yeah, so she's back in Star Trek, Star Trek the motion picture, which we talked about doing once, but we never did get around to doing it, and then she's been in all those shows, and she's been busy. She's been busy. She's in of course, uh, Star Trek The Final Frontier. Let's see here. She also, this is kind of interesting, she's been in some video games, but she was in a, a, a story podcast, uh, so unlike this, fly by the seat of the pants kind of commentary that we do. She was actually in a narrative podcast, a Star Trek podcast, where she played Captain Uhura. And that's called Starship Excelsior. So so Captain Neota Uhura must have taken over for Captain uh, for Captain Sulu, who was the yeah. captain of, of the Excelsior for a number of years. He, he probably went on to become an admiral. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, but yeah, she's been busy. Uh, she's actually, she was working on a movie this very year. She had a very I think prominent role in inspiring a lot of young African-American women uh, and probably even Swahili women uh, because that's her character Uhura Swahili, right? Uh, yes. If that's right. Sorry if I get that wrong, audience. But but women all over the world, I'm sure, uh, into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And, and I think that part of her charity certainly went towards that. And doesn't she have some affiliation with NASA? I can't remember. Yes. Yes, actually, she... she uh, she did participate in that as uh, kind of an ambassador. Now, do you know the MLK story? The what? The MLK story. I do not know. I mean, I know who MLK is. I know his <laughs> story. I, I, I feel like you're so, trying um, to catch me. So uh, let's hear it. Well, uh, I mean, actually, uh, you should go to, and, and I might get some of the details wrong. You can find it. Uh, Nichelle Nichols, Nichols did tell this story a lot. You can find it on YouTube. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, Nichelle Nichols, I think after the first season, because as, as Max, as you pointed out, she was she she worked a lot. Yeah, she, busy busy actress. She was a very very talented performer, and I, I think she enjoyed Star Trek. But she was ready to move on, and uh, and so the way she told the story, she went in to Gene Roddenberry and said, you know, I, I I'm ready to move on. I I I want I went out of the show, and, and I want to want to do something else. And and Gene Roddenberry begged her, don't don't do it. You know, I I need you on the show because you know Gene Roddenberry's original uh, vision for the crew was that it would be a diverse crew, yep, and um, that would include um, you know humans of you know from from all over the earth and, and non humans. And Gene Roddenberry did not want her to go, but she insisted, and they they signed a document that was like a resignation. She signed a resignation. 
and Roddenberry said, I'm, I'm going to keep this and I want you to think about it because I don't want you to go. So she left and she went to, I'm, I feel like I'm making this up, this part up. I want to say it was like an end, uh, uh, um, at, at some, some dinner and it was, and it was politically based. I, I, I actually cannot remember. It was, you know, uh, NAACP. I, I'm not sure, but she was at this dinner and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was there. And uh, because she was told there, there was this Star Trek fan who wanted to talk to her. And she looked up and he's walking toward her with a big smile on his face. And he says, I, um, yes, I'm I'm the biggest Star Trek fan in the country. And I just wanted to tell you that you know Star Trek is the only show that we will allow our daughter to stay up and watch. And, wow. and she, she kind of cuts him off in mid-sentence and says, well, Dr. King, you need to know I'm leaving the show because and then and then he kind of cuts her off and says, no, you're not. You, you can't leave that show. And he said, because you show the world, America and the world, the way that we should be seen. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this as an exact quote. I don't have it in front of me. But you show the world how we should be seen. Intelligent, beautiful, uh, talented, efficient, a, a leader. And you have to continue this. You have to. Because if you leave, they can recast it with anybody. It could be an alien. Yeah. And we, and we will lose this moment. You don't know what you're doing and the importance of it and and you know i'm telling you right now that you again i'm not quoting now now i'm i'm, I'm embellishing but but what you are doing is more important than any anything else that any other um african-american performer is doing on tv right now and you have to continue and so the way michelle nichols tells the story she she she, she was taken aback and slept on it and she went back to gene roddenberry's office the next day and said and told him the story uh-huh. and said I, and i'm i'm gonna stay wow and i guess gene roddenberry was brought to tears from the story and he opened the drawer and he pulled out her resignation which he had already ripped up <laughs> and so she stayed with the show right to the end and and, and to be Oh, yes. And uh, I, I was just reading that NASA credits her with uh, reaching out to to minority uh, people to recruit as a recruiter. Yes. For NASA. Yes. And yes. And I, you know, I, I so her artistic uh, work is, you know, it stands uh, for itself. But I don't I don't think that many people realize what a trailblazer she was in many ways. I mean, of course, she has the famous first interracial kiss. Yes. On on, on screen. How do Which you know how controversial? Do you know how controversial? Controversial that was. How 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 was that received at the time? Because I don't know. I I imagine it was kind of a bit of a shocker for audiences. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the episode was not shown in the South. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, but I do know the story of the kiss. The scene was written, set up, cameras were set up, and 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 again, Nichelle Nichols tells the story in in detail. Um, and and she says that Shatner kissed her, like he he full on kissed her. Like cut, like um, Bill. It looked like you kissed her. Yeah, yeah, I kissed her. Like, well, you know, we don't want to do that. You know, C- can you just like, you know, kind of move in and turn away and and don't really do it. The classic, and, the classic forties and fifties move. Yes, because they like. I mean, look. I mean, they were going to shoot the scene, but they they didn't want Bill Shatner to kiss her. Okay. But apparently, according to Nichelle Nichols, Shatner then kind of sabotaged efforts to reshoot it without a kiss by like he would end the scene and he would like cross his eyes or something and. 
And uh, I mean, they shot it numerous times. And 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 Michelle says that 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 Shatner was kind of a kind of a prick about reshooting it. And so they and so she insisted, I believe, that the final shot that they used was the actual kiss. Okay. As because they both kind of I think they both did, but Shatner specifically sabotaged efforts to reshoot it without actual lip locking. Okay. So well, that, well, that says I mean that says a lot about Shatner himself as a as a as a stand-up guy who sort of believed in the Roddenberry project. It sounded like a lot of the actors on the show believed in the Roddenberry vision. They, they, they all did. They all did, including Shatner. Yes. I mean, uh, <laughs> despite his famous Saturday Night Live version of himself. <laughs> and I mean, I get it. I get it. A lot of them have had like ups and downs with their relationship with this franchise. Oh yeah. All of them. Well, I mean, actually, I mean, specifically Nimoy and Shatner. Because I mean, just sticking with Michelle for a minute. The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, even though it may have been very hard for her to take Dr. King's advice, it was good advice. Yeah. But still, that's quite a burden. To oh, be yes. like, oh, I can't go do what I want to do because I've got to I've got to carry this torch for everybody else. But she did it and she did it exactly the way that he said. And she did get quite a career out of it because she's all, all of the Star Trek actors from the original show are loved. All of them are. And and they got to experience that kind of fame that not a, not a lot. Not every actor gets. You know, it's not really a small thing that they were able to, you know, you know, 50 years on. On, that you know everyone knows who they are and it's because of star trek absolutely and and <laughs> arguably still argue arguably still the most beloved of the shows now everybody each each different show has its champions but there's a soft spot in every trekkie's heart for that original series you know and she's a part of that it, it's interesting i wonder how it is now among young people because like for us and i know that star trek the next generation came out when we were in middle school and high school and you know and then on into our 20s but the fact of the matter is when we were young star trek reruns were like reruns of cheers in the 90s like you turn on the tv and there and there is one there was star trek and then there would be you'd watch the Beastmaster again and then (laughs) and then and then you would watch another episode of star trek no absolutely and and so i think that you know it, it, it was really just everywhere and then the creation of these movies and the transition of these television actors into movie stars that was totally effective, totally. And I think that just kind of the the little bits of culture that everybody knows, even if they've never seen a Star Trek episode, beam me up, Scotty, you know, he's dead, Jim, all of those little things that, you know, these characters became, you know, kind of memes of, I mean, they were memes before they were memes. Yes. Right. And Star Trek, the original Star Trek television show was the early, was the grandfather of paving the way for serious science fiction on television and in film. It just was. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah. I think it's a sad fact that not every actor in that show's character got to shine as often as we would see in, say, Star Trek The Next Generation. That show was a lot better at using its ensemble more fully, but it had seven seasons to do that, and so it had a little more time. And we might have gotten more of that kind of character development of all the other characters in the original series if it had had seven seasons as well. But we didn't really get like a lot of Uhura moments in the series. I mean, there was the, there's the famous one, but that show was so much about Bones, Jim, and Spock. Well, a lot of the reason, a lot of the reason that was is because 
Gene Roddenberry's involvement, I mean, was throughout, but I think he ceased being the showrunner after the first couple episodes. Okay. I mean, actually, I, 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 um, I'm trying to remember the names of the producers. I, uh, was it Gene L. Coon? That just came to mind. But but basically, there were other staff producers who kind of took over the show mm-hmm. and turned to Bonanza in Space. Yeah. Uh, smoke in Space. And so when you have a gun smoke in space, you've got to have a lead. And so um, so a lot of the reasons why the show became that is because of, of that, because Roddenberry would have preferred the model that you're talking about. However, I would push back a little bit. Like you say, you know, that a lot of these didn't have a chance to shine. But actually, I remember a lot of moments. You know, I think of uh, 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 Mirror Mirror, the the the, uh, the flips universe with the the, the Imperial Federation when her has to go to the bridge, and uh, uh, I can't remember what she has to do, but she has to do something in order. For yeah, yeah. and she has to deal with the fact that um, the the Mirror Universe Sulu basically wants to rape her, and she has to, and and, and he's armed with a knife, and she doesn't want to hurt him, you know, but she's got to kind of stand up for herself. Yeah, yeah. So I think that she's great in that episode. Um, well, what I mean is, what I mean is that they didn't necessarily. A lot of them had great moments in the series. I don't want to suggest they didn't, but they didn't get like arcs, and their characters didn't get developed the way, say, Worf would get developed in in Star Trek: Next Generation or Data or something like that. But I think that's more of a product of the fact that it didn't have as well, many seasons to to have that happen. In let's see what you're just. I mean. Of course, you and I always bring comic books into it, but I mean, what 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 you're talking about was made post, you know, like in the comic book universe in the '80s when when arcs were being brought into stories, and so you know that that was the period where both in television and in in comics, yeah, where you did have a lot of cotton. I mean, there was always continuity, but like serious continuity, like you know. You know, there's this story that very serious elements from this episode or this issue are going to go into the next one as opposed to just, oh, look, here's so-and-so from like season one and he's here, you know, but, but other than, other than that character coming back, there's no, like Harry Mudd was a character in Star Trek who was a kind of a villain. He was in two episodes and, uh, and he was a great character, but um, there's no connection between one episode and the other, except that he came back. Now, interestingly, you bring up Harry Mudd in the new Star Trek show uh, on Paramount, not the the new show about the Enterprise, which I think is, I can't remember what that show is called. I haven't, I haven't got a chance to get into that, but I've heard good things about it. But Star Trek, the new, the, Mud is a is a bad guy in a couple of the episodes. He's played by Rain Wilson, okay. and and he uh, he hates. I think it's it's not Captain Kirk, but it's uh, uh, the different captain. Uh, let's let me let me. Oh, I gotta look this up. Sorry, Captain Pike. No, it's not Pike though. Pike. It's interesting. Pike is returned in the show. We haven't met Kirk in the new series yet, but we've met Pike and and Spock. And uh, what is the name of that Star Trek? Is it Star Trek Discovery? What is the name of this damn show? Yes, it's Star Trek Discovery. This is. It, I think it's a great show, but Harry Mudd is in it, and they've they've they've, they've drawn in Pike, and they've even referenced uh, oh that that Pike episode from the the original series in the new Star Trek yeah. Discovery. Anyway. And now Pike has his own show. Anyway, I, I think that I think that that legacy of the original series is really shining in these new actors and their interpretations of the show. I even like the J.J. Abrams riff on that original series. It gave Uhura more of a role, which I liked. I like it. Yes, 
I think the J.J. Abrams series, when it came out, that was kind of a, if you remember, it was kind of a kind of a low point for Star Trek uh, media. Mm-hmm. Star Wars had kind of taken, that was the period, and, and a little before, yeah. where Star Wars had kind of come back and taken center stage. And so suddenly this, you know, the first J.J. Abrams film, this ter- this return to the original crew, to me, kind of solidified that the original crew will always be the kind of pop culture touchstone more than than any of the other shows. Even though even though in while it was on and after Star Trek, the next generation was often talked about as being far superior to the original show. Um, but people did a lot of drinking and drugs in the 90s and they I, um, I, I will say this about Star Trek The Next Generation. It really does do its own thing after season, about midway through season two, they realize they don't have to retread the, the ground that that, that original show has. Because they done. redo. They did. Because yeah. they, they literally redo certain plots, right? Audience, I don't know if Jason remembers this, but in 1988 and 89, or whenever the show came out, you were not an early adopter on Star Trek. No. Jason hated it. He called Worf a macro head. And, and and he complained bitterly, bitterly. We were in, we were in, sorry to be so autobiographical, we were in religion and philosophy class. But before class started, Jason was just, he was almost screaming at the top of his lung. No, he wasn't. But but he he was he was very adamant that they were just redoing old episodes of Star Trek from the 60s, which I didn't believe at first, but then I only had to flip to another channel to see a rerun of Star Trek to see that he was actually right about some of these storylines that they were redoing but at some point they stopped doing that and i want to say it's around midway between maybe in season three but maybe about towards the end of midway between season two that they realized that they had their own thing that they could say and do and at that point the show becomes a really good science fiction action drama show And and a very important show because really and, and it's easy to forget this now that it wasn't just important because it was the return of Star Trek. It was important because it was the return of science fiction uh, to television, yes. which, which the eighties there hadn't, I mean, yes, there was auto man. There were things like, there weren't a lot of space shows when, when Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers in the 25th century, when those ended after what a season, two seasons, there were no space shows yeah. in the eighties. Science fiction, kind of this you know there was this big boom in science fiction in the late 70s that came out for the star wars and and i and i devoured all of it that i could find and then after return of the jedi it just the door just shut uh for three or i mean it felt like an eternity really it was just three or four years but it looked like science fiction was gone it was over and then star trek the next generation opened that door yeah you did have babylon 5 and you had you know you had these other shows that yeah they were smaller um but there was this effort to begin to try to make science fiction on television and to use, you know, kind of modern special effects and to push it forward. And now, you know, no one thinks twice about making a science fiction show. No. But in 7, 88, it was a big deal. That not thinking twice might be a problem, audience. Sometimes people should think a little bit longer before they make a science fiction show. But no, it's absolutely right. And so, yeah, but I think I think we owe a, a huge debt of gratitude to Nichelle Nichols and her alluring Uhura and her intelligent Uhura and her her presence on the 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 deck, the command deck of the, the USS Enterprise. Yeah, 
Can I give a favorite? Can I give a favorite moment? Absolutely, absolutely. Might be too predictable, but I but I, I swear to you, one of my favorite scenes in any Star Trek movie or show is in Star Trek Three when she uh, puts Mister Adventure in the closet. Maybe you're not remembering the scene that I'm talking about, but when she's taking a station at a at a uh, transporter in a transporter room, and she ends up transporting Kirk and McCoy and everybody aboard the Enterprise illegally, and she's she's working with this young lieutenant who makes all these comments about her age and she just looks up at him like oh boy you didn't just say that and then and then she ends up taking him out and putting him at phaser point into uh, the closet and um and and then she says oh i'll have mr adventure eating out of my hand sir and <laughs> great that's a great little moment in a very underrated star trek movie well i'm, I'm a big fan of star trek three there's another great moment of hers in i want to say star trek Four it might be might be a different one where she's trying she she gives this little exasperated look because she's trying to uh, stall or translate or something. I wish I could remember the movie, but it's always been one of my favorite little Uhura moments. Well, I think it's I think it's, I think it's six. Okay, because um, it's in Star Trek. I think it's Star Trek six because they're um, I think it's it's in the mystery. You know when they're trying to solve the mystery. Yes. Wait, no, 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 no. I think so, but I haven't seen I haven't seen it recent enough to be able to remember the scene very well. That was I think what I used to I used to watch Star Trek six a lot. It was it was one of my favorites in part just because it gives Spock a lot of time to go chewing through the scenery as if he was his his literary uh, antecedent Sherlock Holmes. But another another I think another. A great moment for uh for Uhura in the series is in is in Star Trek 4 when she and Chekhov are, are looking for the nuclear vessels and they are asking where is, where is Alameda? <laughs> Yes, yes. There is a scene, actually, I think Nichelle Nichols talks about it in the behind the scenes. I might be wrong about this. It might be Koenig who talks about it. But when they're talking to the police officer, that was a cop who didn't know what the fuck was going on, I guess. And <laughs> and he's confronted with this guy with a Russian accent asking where the nuclear vessels are. And these, you can see, <laughs> this extra is doing such a good perplexed face because he is indeed is this, is this an esp- is this espionage do i need to report this you know and then of course they would reveal to him later on but yeah one of my favorite moments you know i i wish she had more moments just because she's so good but you know it is what it is and and that 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 cast worked so well together despite yeah. some of the drama that that maybe happened behind the scenes you would never know you would think that this cast of the original show they were so professional and so good is like the next generation cast which seems to utilize any excuse to get together and work together again like they will be on yeah, they're, they're genuinely friends yeah yeah, and so every cast has its particular foibles. Well, see, yeah. so see, well, see, you went there, so now I, I, I will at least reveal one bit of my analysis of the the thing about the original cast that has to be remembered is that when they worked together on the first three seasons, none of them thought the show would be remembered. Really, they thought because back then, if you got a show, you tried to you tried to write it as long as you could, and when and when it was when it was over, you went back into anxiety mode. Will I get another job? So, so while you were while you were on the show, you you were grateful to be working, but you were very aware that the plug could be pulled at any time, and then you move on to the next one. And none of them thought, especially I mean, I mean, even though the show was actually very popular among young people, uh, I mean, I, I I've heard it said that if if they analyzed ratings. 
then the way that they did just 20 years later, Star Trek would have been seen as a big hit because actually um, the demographic that it did very well with is one that advertisers really especially wanted okay. years because, because uh, you know, I think people age 10 to 40, it did very well, but older people didn't watch it. So it didn't really get high ratings, but it got a very solid demographic that was something that advertisers wanted. But in making the show, they didn't see it as a successful show. They knew they could get canceled at any moment and then they would all leave and that would be that would be the end of it. Okay. But then they they kept being brought back together. And then it, it, it slowly kind of dawned on most of them that, well, you know, this is what we're going to be remembered for. And, you know, if we want to, we can kind of ride, we can ride this thing to the end of our lives because, you know, we're really good together. It's a really good show and it's, it's something to be proud of. But, but I actually don't think that any of them really thought that it would be something that people would watch even 10 years later. Remember, there were no, there was no VCRs or anything like, no, no, no. Like, you know, if, if the show didn't go into syndication, it would just never be seen again. That's a great point. But I it did go into syndication, which is why we watched it all the way up. Yeah. Into- well, because I mean, not only did it go into syndication, I think, I think it invented the idea of a show becoming a hit in syndication which which has happened with other shows since but absolutely that kind of was like the first that was like this show that flamed out in three seasons and then suddenly there are these you know local networks just buying the rights to just show star trek episodes and people just gobbling it up well, it was one of the it was one of those early interactions with fans and producers where fans were clamoring. This is one of the early examples of fans clamoring to get a show back. And in that era, it didn't work the way it would today. But I mean, like I imagine today, if the, if Star Trek had been canceled the the way it was in the '60s, if there if there had been Twitter, Star Trek would have been back on. They probably would have never taken it off because fans would have you know would have right. would have would have right. sang its praises. We know now see. Well, what's really interesting, I mean, I just think one of the interesting things about the history of Star Trek is now we actually have a Paramount streaming service. Yeah. Um, you know, the in 1976, Paramount was going to have a new network, kind of what Fox would do later. You get the three networks and Paramount was going to have a network as well. Okay. And, and, and their flagship show was going to be this a Star Trek revival. Okay. In, in which they were going to bring back the whole, the original cast. And they had signed everybody except Leonard Nimoy to do the show. So everybody was going to come back except Nimoy. Now, I do think the idea was Shatner signed for like one season and then they were going to kill him off. And they had scripts written. They had costumes designed. And then Paramount backed out and said, you know what? We're not we're not even going to do the network. So the show's canceled. Okay. They took the pilot episode story and turned it into Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay. And, um, and, but of course then for the, although for the movie, they did convince Leonard Nimoy to come back because, but I believe, I believe that commander Sonak, the one that gets killed in the transporter. Yeah. Was going to be in the show. Okay. Yeah. You from, did did you hear that? You said commander Sonak was going to be in the show. Commander Sonak was going to be the Vulcan. Okay. But I don't think that was going to be his name. But I think it was the actor, you know, but then when when they were when they turned it into a movie, they decided, well, Leonard's coming back. Let's kill him off. But well, but 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 those costumes, we all make fun of the costumes. Right. In Star Trek, the motion picture, but they're I terrible. Don't, I don't. But OK, I, I think. Well, no, but, but see that they're their television costume. Okay. The, the, those costumes, they were just for the show, not for the movie. 
Okay. And so, so when they were like, you know, we need better costumes. And so then they made the, the famous uh, the best, the best Starfleet uniforms ever, which are the, yeah, uh, the with the, the red ones. Yeah. Yes. No, those yeah. are pretty great. So I guess that's, that's where I guess we want to, is, is there anything else you want to say about Uhura or Nichelle Nichols or Star Trek? I don't think so. Um, well, uh, tons about Star Trek and probably more about Michelle, but I think that's a good place to stop for tonight. There'll be other days. There'll be other days. Yeah. And audience, I think that if you have Paramount Plus, you can definitely stream as much original Star Trek as you want to. Check out all those shows. They're really good. And definitely review the movies of the original cast. It's a it's a fun, optimistic batch of science fiction that that is still worth your time all these years later. And we owe Nichelle Nichols a huge debt of gratitude for her part in that in that series. Jason, anything else? No. All right, audience, thank you for joining us on this impromptu goofy conversation share us with all your friends and uh on all the social media things if you listen to us through apple Podcasts, give us a four star five star review it helps us to get noticed and makes the show pop onto people's radar if you want to reach out to us you can reach out to us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com you guys never do you can reach out to me which does that happen once or twice on twitter at the supper test Anj couldn't be with us tonight she's got some projects brewing and and, uh, and said to me, I don't know enough about the original show to be on tonight anyway. So um, so she couldn't join us. And we will, yeah, it's one of my, it's, I suppose it's one of my parenting faux pas. But she knows everything about the X-Men, so I've made up for it. Folks, we will be back with our Dirty Harry retrospective uh, next week. And that's all the news that's fit to print from Lord Movie Studios. Bye-bye. Oh, Jason, you frozen? Hello? What happened? Did you say bye? Didn't because you froze for like the last uh, 20 seconds. So Yeah. Well, say bye real quick and then we'll hop off. We timed this just right. Bye. Okay. Bye, Jason. But wait, there's more. Audience, I'm going to give you a few of my opinions of a couple different shows that are out there right now that I think are worth mentioning. So the first of these is the reality competition show on Netflix called Blown Away. I've watched all seasons of it. And I enjoy it for the craftsmanship and the educational value of like learning about this art form of blowing glass. But as a reality show, uh, a reality competition show, I think that it has some some problems. I think that there's a huge problem of judge bias on the show, and I don't know. I I, th- I know how to correct that, and that would be to have these pieces judged blind and have the have the judges or the the current presenters explain glass blowing, but have people that don't have a I suppose uh, a known bias going in. You can kind of see really early on the main judge. I can't remember. I think her name's Catherine Gray. You can tell when she fixates on. Uh, a certain artist or a certain couple of artists and she goes through this process of justifying why she likes a piece even though it's technically not necessarily as sound as other pieces on display and I think her her voice is the final judge it's also pretty clear that at least I think the personal stories and the personal backgrounds of the artists play kind of a bigger role than it should they should in picking winners so I think that the the fix is to do something like what they do with the shows uh, Potter, The Great Pottery Throwdown, The, the British Bake Off, where they have uh, a section of the show that is a technical section that is that the judges see each artist produce a piece based on a technical challenge. And then they have uh, a blinded 
section of the work, and that, and by that I mean that the the judging is blinded, where the the judges don't know what artist has made what piece, and I think that that is the way to go with with these kinds of shows. It would eliminate as as important as some of these stories are that people share. I think that the stories that people share and the kinds of things that they say about themselves do have an effect on the judging above and beyond the art that they're supposed to be producing. And so I think that the way around this, the way to get judges to focus on the art itself is to have a major portion of the of the artistic challenges to be, I think the judging has to be blinded to make the competition worth watching. Otherwise, we kind of know who's going to be in the final based on what Catherine Gray, I think that's her name again, is saying at the beginning of the show. And I don't think that's right. Uh, there, there were a few contestants that I think were kept in the subsequent rounds that wouldn't have been kept in kept in the competition if the judging had been blinded uh, so I think yeah I think if you're going to do a show like this you definitely have to have uh, a blinded judging process to to make everybody watching feel some excitement about the show otherwise it all feels like sort of a preordained drama that you kind of know the outcome going in that said I certainly kind of enjoyed the show a little bit uh, I don't enjoy it as much as I would if I couldn't predict where it was going early on but it is neat to learn about glass blowing it is neat to see a lot of cool glass blowing art. I didn't know there was as much to it uh, when I first started watching the show. But yeah, it's it's kind of neat. Uh, but because but because I think that there is a, a problem with the judging, I have to rank the show pretty low. Oh, like a five out of ten, maybe. Anyway, audience, what do you think of Blown Away? Maybe you like it more than I do. Maybe you think the judging is just spot on and perfect. You know what to do. And now the next show. The next show I'm going to discuss is the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the Window, starring Kristen Bell, Tom Riley, Mary Holland, let's see here, who else? Cameron Britton, uh, Samsara Leela Yet, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Shelley Henning, Brenda Koo, Michael Early, Christina Anthony, Benjamin Levy Aguilar, Brendan Jennings, Nicole Pullman, Abby Pratt, ja Jania, uh, sorry, Janina Gav Gavankar, Michael Hitchcock, Maria Russell, Pat Devine, and Tom Bagley, and that's all the listed cast. Um, creators are Hugh Davidson, Larry Dorf, and Rachel Ramirez. I couldn't find much more production notes in the show, so I'm going to give you my impression of the show. It's a murder mystery. It, it's listed uh, at IMDb as comedy, crime, drama. And so my initial impressions of the show, I watched all eight episodes this weekend, and for the most part, I, I quite enjoyed it. I thought that it was trying to be kind of a dark comedy at times. There's a fairly charming Scooby-Doo quality to the mystery at the heart of the show. I don't want to give any spoilers because it's still a fairly new show, and there are, there are plenty of fun twists and turns in the show that, that that I don't want to spoil for you. But in the in the trailer, you see that our hero, Kristen Bell, is a woman who is having some serious psychological problems. She drinks a lot, and she mixes her drinks with her prescription medicine and watches people out the window of her house. She watches her neighborhood. She's a bit of a nosy neighbor, but she's not really comfortable going outside much. She's always worried that it might rain and that's a mystery that will be explored in the film in the, in the sorry in the series and we do see that she witnesses a murder and the rest of the series is about people believing her not believing her trying to convince the people that need to be convinced that she has witnessed a murder and then there is the rest of the show of her figuring out who did it who done it now as i said i i there is this comedic element to it but it doesn't 
it doesn't necessarily stick every landing of the comedy. And I think that there's 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 so much absurdity in the in the show, and that's part of the comedy. It's part of the attempt of the comedy. But it's all done so straight faced that it's hard to know if they're playing it straight or if this is if if the if the absurd thing that they're saying is a comedy beat. It it's almost like I think that if this so let me let me let me, let me rephrase that. I think that this is a film that should have this is a series rather that should have been directed by Wes Anderson because there is that because he seems to know how to blend his absurdist tendencies with with kind of real moving drama and thrills and comedy and the this show seems to be playing on this kind of genre of the mystery thriller where a, a woman sees a crime and then because people don't believe that she's witnessed a crime she has to go about solving the mystery and and I mean the title says it all really which I didn't notice <laughs> until late in my viewing of it I mean this is almost a play on like Gone Girl The Girl in the Train pick your there's, there's probably a computer that generates these titles or could generate these titles it's a pretty simple idea uh, The Woman in the Window uh, you get you get what I'm saying the film is sort of a joke about all of these th this this kind of crime thriller this, this, this genre and I wanted that comedy to work a little more it's not it's never dark enough uh, you, even in the absurd even in the even in the darkness of some of the absurdities of the of the show and there are some really absurd dark turns that that are so unreal that you're, you're kind of jarred when when certain mysteries get revealed because you're like what really is this is this but and it's played so straight you're I, I I found myself as a viewer somewhat confused as to how I'm supposed to react to these absurdities but by about episode five I, I started to feel like I understood what they were doing and I started to enjoy the show a little bit more. Now, other people maybe who read a lot of these these kinds of novels and enjoy these kinds of movies maybe 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 will get that that joke a little sooner than I did, and maybe start enjoying it a little sooner than I did. So 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 I guess that's my only real complaint about the show is that tonally I didn't think it quite worked all the time. And you've heard Jason and I talk about the problems of managing tone, especially when you're trying to mix tones in a in a film. It, we, we we discuss it, and it's always a it's always something that we marvel at when it's mastered and and stumble over when it isn't. So that's that, that, that's like my major complaint. The the show is is really well composed. It it, it is well acted. Everybody does a good job with Scooby Doo meets Wes Anderson meets the woman on the train looking out the window at another woman on a porch kinds of <laughs> films. So you know, I think that even though I have this like weird problem with the tone and it caused me to stumble a lot, Kristen Bell is delightful portraying somebody who is in the throes of depression and grief and worried about her sanity. I think that she nails all that. I think that the central relationships of the film are pretty, pretty solid. I think that they're well acted and they, they hold together. There is a weird tryst that, that our hero Kristen Bell's character has. Who does she play? What's her what's that character's name? Sorry, I forgot the name of the character, but Anna. That Anna has in the film that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But that's that's sort of also par for the course in these kinds of murder mysteries that the film is is sort of poking fun at, but also homaging a bit. So so I, yeah, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. The film, the the people who made it maybe really like this genre, but they also recognize the tropes, and so they're trying to do something that is both homage and parody. And sometimes 
sometimes if you don't nail that, if you have too much sympathy for the subject matter that you're trying to satirize, sometimes it doesn't work. And and, and maybe that's what happened here. Maybe that's what happened here. I would love to know. But uh, audience, if you know more about the production of the film and and the ideas that the creators of it had, please feel free to let me know. You know how to do that. I've said it. I said it earlier in this episode. So yeah, despite my stumbles with the film, oh, I'm sorry, with the series, I keep calling it a film. I think overall it's probably worth your time. It's definitely worth your time if you enjoy murder mysteries and you enjoy this genre. And I, I'm a big fan of Kristen Bell. I have been way since way back uh, with Veronica Mars. I I love that series. I love the movie. I read the three novels of Veronica Mars. And so anyway, I've been a fan of Kristen Bell since then. She's a great actress and she does great work here. And carries, I mean, she carries the she carries the film the, the series over the stumbling blocks for me. So I kept I kept going on even though I had some issues. And so that's that's my that's my verdict, I guess, on the girl. Sorry, the woman. The what? What's the, this is a long title. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. My verdict on that. Yeah. So I was going to do Prey, the new installment of the Predator franchise, but I just couldn't stay awake last night, and so I didn't. I didn't get around to it. I will try and do that as soon. Maybe maybe we'll do it as a whole episode of the podcast. And audience, we will see you later on in the week. Oh, one more thing. We are going to be moving the release date of the show to Mondays. I think it's just going to be easier for me to get the last of the editing I need to get done on the weekend. And I just seem to manage weekend editing a little better than I do other times. And it gives me a little time to do other things. Uh, it's a busy time for me as the editor. And anyway, so we're going to try Mondays for a bit and see how that works out. And that's all the news that's fit to print from Lord Movie Studios. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye again. <laughs>